Welcome everybody to Learning with Bell Vista Studios. I've got Gillen here. I want to recognize you because I really love your curiosity. I love that you're all about solving the right problem. I think you go into a lot of detail from what I can see on your posts on LinkedIn about the process and the co-creation stuff. And I think that's awesome because it really resonates with how we approach projects as well. So I want to kick off with helping people understand because you're not a learning designer so talk us through some yeah, kind yeah. of projects problems or products that are some examples of what you're working on and what you do in your world nice okay so um i guess i would have to start uh talking about process design so basically these days uh you know the way i would label myself as a, as a process designer and facilitator but um, for the past 10 years, I've worked mostly in uh, product design um, in the software industry. So like apps and websites, or what do you mean by products? Yeah, well, product is mostly, yes, apps. Yeah. But it can also apply to, because you could have, uh, you know, applications that run uh, as, as websites. Yeah. And so, like making that transition from 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 product design to process design, it was mostly. Um, I think it started when I when I received uh, you know my training as a design thinking practitioner. So with design thinking, you will usually have you know all the phases um, uh, for the design process, going from observing the problem to defining it to you know uncovering this sort of point of view. Yeah, and then you basically go um, through building a prototype and testing it, and you will usually, you know, you either repeat everything if you didn't if you didn't get it right at first, <laughs> or or you might and that's or you okay. might, <laughs> and that's the whole thing because like once you once you understand, uh, you know, the the way design thinking is supposed to to work, it's it's more than just you know the steps that you're following that it's also very liberating to know that at the end of it you might not have solved the problem but now you know you know a, a missing piece of information that if you hadn't gone through those steps you wouldn't you wouldn't have figured out and that's the whole definition of what they called a wicked problem mm. which is so can you explain you know, that um, yeah so so wicked problem is a problem that you know exists but the only way to get more information about it or to actually understand it is to start building something. So you, you, you gain more knowledge as you start to experiment because in, in a way, those, those prototypes, you're, you're looking for the edge of the problem, like how, how big it is. It's like you're, you have this, this sort of flashlight that can only you know, um, show you one part of it and the more points you're, you're eliminating, you're just, you know, making assumptions about what else is there that we're not seeing. So you need to sort of found, find a limit. Mm. And that's why uh, design thinking says, you know, you have to delay judgment because judgment will not, will not get you all the way there to sort of crash and, 
and know like this is this is where you know this is where this ends so now let's let's check out what's on the other side mm -hmm. and that's how you start to so there are ways you can you can actually you know you, you cannot have the entire time to actually you know look at all the edges so you need to have some sort of focus yeah and that's where this this point of view part comes into play because at some point you have you're going to have a, a, a divergent phase mm -hmm. where you want to go wild and, and aim for quantity. You want to have a hundred ideas, but then you have to develop a point of view. Mm -hmm. And that's your, your starting point. So another thing you learn is like constraints are actually, you know, are actually good. Cause, <laughs> and, and, and I like to, you know, sometimes when I'm, I sometimes try and run uh, workshops where I'm trying to get people into that design thinking uh, mindset. And so sometimes I will just, you know, ask them to, you know, can you draw like a base? And that is something we all have that in, in, our, in our heads. Yeah. And most of the times, uh, you know, the, their first uh, drawing is the typical, you know, the, the base that has like this curved form where that's what was in my you know. mind yes <laughs> and they will all they will all draw it and then um i have one that is that is uh, hidden behind like a i put this this sort of white box and then i move it and it's that base and and everyone's like wow <laughs> like a magician like you predicted <laughs> yeah, like i predicted and and because that's that's what our brain does right it just looks for the for the reference that we're all used to and then I asked them, you know, can you now draw eight different uh, bases? And then it's it's so hard. Like it takes them a lot of time to to try. And it's just it's just variations of that same, you know. It's like this one is, is shorter, this one is wider, but they all look the same. Yeah. And then you're okay. So now you know, let's try to draw um, a base for for a children's room. And now you get a lot of crazy stuff like a unicorn base, like star-shaped, rocket-shaped uh, base, and, and, and then you have the, the tiny windows, and that's where you might put flowers. So, and, and that's where people can't really stop coming up with ideas. Is in, you know, if it's going to be in a child's room, it's, it probably it will break. So let's mm -hmm. make them out of foam or, or some other material maybe they are, you know, maybe they cannot fall for some reason, like you have to make the basis. Um, and, and that's, you know, and that's where I feel, you know, if you're, if you're connecting with, you know, whoever's going to use that, people tend to have more ideas because now they're developing a point of view and they're looking at this object in the context of, you know, this room and, it, and the user and all the things that could go wrong and uh, you might even end up with you know they, do they really need decoration and you know should it be a toy and so so design thinking also offers that uh, perspective of the the solution that is to not build it yes you know to not build the thing that um and that I feel it's, it's just, it's letting go of, of that notion where you will have to come up with a solution no matter what, because then you're biased from, from the get go.
<laughs> so, okay, so uh, the, the short story is that, yeah, I, I got into that um, um, a while ago, and then I, I started to implement that, um, you know, with, uh, at, at my current job. Yeah. And trying to get, because design thinking, you cannot do it by yourself. I mean, you, you could have your own ideation thing, but it's, you know, you have to involve other people because that's where the sort of the diversity part comes into and that generates more ideas. But what I felt is, um, even though I was able to, to bring everyone into a call and go through it, I wasn't, I wasn't able to unlock their creativity. Like How come? I wasn't, well, there was a lot of resistance and, and I felt, you know, like I should be, it should be better. Like I know the process and I understand it. Yeah. But um, people will resist because, you know, why are we wasting, uh, you know, our time doing this? It doesn't seem like a, such a big problem. And you cannot really force them to think otherwise because that's their perception and that is valid. So it was, it was like a huge um, block for me because I wasn't able to, to get them to realize that the more we, we, we do this, the more we invest time in this um, area where everything is a bit more abstract, we will then have better conversations. And I also, I think one of the big mistakes I made uh, coming out of that training was that I, I went back to work and I started to observe everything that was wrong. Because <laughs> you now get this perspective, right? And, and I felt like, oh, we're doing meetings completely wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the documents that we're writing are not, we should be co-creating everything. <laughs> and if you don't know how to communicate that, you will most likely offend someone because everyone is doing the best they can. And if you have new knowledge and you don't know how to transfer that or teach people why, yeah. you will come across as someone who feels, you know, I know the right way of doing things. Yeah. So, yeah, I learned and, and I learned that... Uh, I guess the, the wrong way. I wish they had prepared us for, you know, this is how it will feel going back yeah. to work after this, you know, intense learning <laughs> that you just went through. And you will start to see things that could be better, but you need to also design that, <laughs> that process. And that's where this whole thing about process came to mind. It's like, uh, I have now this, this, this thing that I want other people to join and I'm not able to, to get there. Mm -hmm. So, so then I, I learned about, uh, and this was, this was a couple of years later because all that time I was, I was just writing or trying to, you know, understand like taking notes, but I also tried to get them <laughs> into design thinking without mentioning it. Mm. Yeah, as in, mm, I will send you of ideas, and I want to talk to to you about it. Like, just feel free to, and then I would. But that is, you know, it's just, it's it's not going to be the 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 whole deal. Mm -hmm. 
is so, yeah keep going no i mean go, go ahead i was just gonna say how did you overcome that so you're you've done some training on design thinking you're excited to implement it you start to observe around the workplace things that are not quite working from your training you're eager to apply it you can see how it's going to help your business and the clients that you guys serve and then people are resistant and how did you overcome that how you talked about communicating getting people communicating what you were had learned to the people yeah. how did you do that exactly <laughs> so um like i said I, I i faced that uh barrier and i tried so many things and uh, over time i got frustrated uh so then i went on to work at a different place and and then i i decided um you know so i looked for for a place that you know i thought they would um they would benefit from from having that sort of process oriented um, thinking because um, back then um, the, the, the previous place we were we were building um, sort of one product and we had uh, a user base if you have if you're building one product and let's say you're doing that for the past 10 years so yeah. you have uh, what you consider is a good understanding of who your users are yeah so you're going to be less inclined to um, try to figure that out many times. You know, just, you know, I am going to challenge this knowledge because you already built your business around that, that user base and you consider that, yeah. you know, whatever was true um, five years ago, it, it probably remains unless your numbers change um, yeah. in a drastic way. They're not. So the way they would apply design thinking then is you know, what are unexpected uses for a product? What are new markets that we might enter? And that it that comes with a whole different, you know, it's it's way more complicated because it will require more resources. Yeah. So I thought maybe going um, to a place that has an, um, this sort of um, agency where you will take on different projects and they will all be different in terms of who the users are, and you will have a, the client onboarding happening at least a couple of times during the year, and you will focus on on developing that client relationship. So I thought I, I had never worked in that. Um, I always worked in, in like single product, um, sort of same user base. So that was that was my thinking. Is like if I shift there, that will be happening multiple times. So I will have more opportunity to to simulate. Because the, the the more you start new and the, the, the shorter the cycle is, is better for learning mm -hmm. rather than having to negotiate uh, with, um, you know, all the history that, that, that everyone had, you know, at that company, it was, it was a bigger challenge. I know it can be done by, by someone who is more experienced, but yeah. that wasn't me back then. Right. So I went on to, um, to work uh, with this sort of agency model and started to look into their process, you know, how, how do they start? What do their, the clients that, uh, that engage for a really long time, what, what are they like? What was their, you know, introduction like? And I would just ask questions and I felt it was, I was, I was going somewhere. <laughs> and, and that's when, when I heard about um, 
process design and, and facilitation. And it seemed like, oh, this is the missing puzzle. So I went to, uh, there's a school in Sweden called Hyper Island. Oh, yeah. I don't know. You, you've probably heard of them. And they were, I think, one of the first uh, to really set um, the, the basis for what learning by doing should, should be like. And I know that there's probably, you know, others that did that before, but I, I think Hyper Island got uh, well known for their approach. Mm-hmm. And what's uh, weird, like I, I heard a lot about them and I was so anxious to go there and I thought, oh, I'll get all of this knowledge about how to design processes and, and how to facilitate. And they barely give you any uh, instructional material. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people there were shocked as in, you know, my company paid for this and I have to go back with something. Yeah. But they, you know, they just show you three um, sort of slides and, and you get to work. Yeah. And you get to work and it's, it's super intense because it's, there's like this group of reflection and you're sharing all the time and you're hearing back from them all the time. And then they split into smaller groups. And again, you're, you're talking and you're hearing and you're providing feedback. And, at, you know, you will do that for eight hours straight, like just, you know, assemble, wow. uh, <laughs> assemble, talk, and, and then get feedback and then move on to try a different thing, finish that thing, go back to, to reflection. Yeah. And... Yeah, when I when I got there, they had this this whole table filled with candy and and a lot of sugary <laughs> yeah. snacks, and I thought like this is this is weird, and but I I think you're using so much of your of your sort of brain energy. Yeah. At 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 some point, you know, uh, four hours later, you're just you're just eating candy all the time. Well, you, I think and, I would have lasted four minutes, and then I would have had. <laughs> the candy snacks <laughs> yeah exactly and 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 you are just you know when when you when you go back uh after the first day you think like nothing happened uh, like what is this what what did we do all day and it will just keep happening and at some point you know you had people who were extremely emotional hmm. and i would look at the facilitators who were like, we were all in, in the circle and they would be around us, just looking at us. It's like, they're going to do something here. There's conflict. Like this person is not agreeing with that other person. Mm. Now they're going to facilitate this and sort of bring, uh, you know, an end to the conflict. And they wouldn't. And I thought like, do they just stand there? And, you know, what is what is going on? And and at that point, you don't know that was intended. You know, that was part of what they had designed. And of course, no one is going to get hurt because you're also, as, as you're getting to this point, they have also planned for us to develop enough openness and trust yeah. to be able to have that conflict without really, you know, hurting ourselves. So it just yeah. happens gradually. And it's something that I think a lot of people refer to as the messy middle, where you completely lose the, the, the vision that like you don't know what, what, am, what, what are we doing here. And I know a lot of people felt 
lost. And so that went on and we started to work on our, on our projects and uh, we, we had to create this, this facilitated um, event mm-hmm. where they would actually, you know, we would actually have people going through um, the process that we had created which is extremely powerful, like just, um, you know, finishing a, 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 a long training and actually going from, you know, to every single point until you deliver that thing. And in the end, like there was, there were, there were people who, who resisted. Uh, I know that at some point, one of them said, you know, this is, this makes no sense. I cannot go back without you have to give us something like please give us like uh you know a, a material for us to take to take back home and 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 show this to people like i cannot i don't know what i'm going to do with this <laughs> yeah with this experience um but the last day after we we sort of went through everything and they they sort of unveiled the, the whole process that they had designed for this training and it was just mind-blowing because you understood everything that happened uh and it's like wow we we can actually do this and you had this this sort of power of you went through the conflict you survived it and now you no longer feel like you actually want to you know take something with you because it's it's now somehow it's in your brain yeah (laughs) right and and you, you even you even know what you have to do to make it uh, to improve that skill. So that that's when I I sort of fell in love with uh, process design. Yeah, because it's not what it's not you know what you're going to do is more about you know why you're going to do it and 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 how those steps will look like. So before, you know, you would see things like, uh, I don't know, you say, you know, I'm crossing the street mm-hmm. and then process design is like, are you, are you running? Are you dodging cars? You know, is the, uh, you know, you, you, you do need help. Are you lost? Are you just, you know, crossing the street to get somewhere or, and you start to see this, that there's this whole thing that um, you hadn't considered before when someone is doing something, there are so many different ways that uh, that can be done. So before you would think about, you know, let's just, let's just wireframe, which is, there's a typical exercise for, uh, you know, one thing that got very popular in, in tech back then was this uh, sort of sprint, uh, five-day sprint. Yeah. I, I don't know if you probably heard of that. As in, uh, yeah, because I look at AJ and Smart's YouTube and yeah, they I do think they actually, yeah, I think they actually, well, no, they did not come up with it, but they changed their, their whole business to just offer that part. Yeah, they, they, they were used a product to do, like, design, mm-hmm. that's right. And then they learned about sprints from some guy who wrote a book called Sprint, who worked, he did it at Google. And then they decided, yeah, yeah our whole business now is just, we help with the five day sprint to get that and product that's off the road. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I can I can see why they decided because that's that's it's it, it determines everything. Like that person who went through that can actually go with that yeah. with those insights, and they will most likely build a, a good product. And yeah. if you have a lot of companies, uh, you know, offering to build that product, then you know, 
they just decided to go without that. And I, I thought when I read that story, I thought that was, it made, yeah. you know, it made a lot of sense. And I think for them people, to, yeah, it is really interesting. And for people watching from the learning design industry, you know, what that five day sprint is about is really, it's just the analysis phase. Like they are only really looking at the analysis of what's the problem we're trying to solve the motivation piece, they do get to a prototype start phase. And then from there, you would be able to maybe go into your storyboard or start developing something, but that they're showing like their whole business is built on just the analysis, discovering what's the true problem, what's the current experience, what's the future experience. It just shows how valuable that process is when companies are willing to pay for only five days of that part before they then go venture out into whether it's like, yeah. yeah, the solution part of it, basically. Exactly. And, and so part of their, of the, that uh, sprint process is that I, I think it's on, on day two that they do this exercise called crazy eight. Tell us. Where, uh, <laughs> yeah, they're discussing this, this feature, let's say. And so they, they, they bring everyone from the company or, you know, whoever they chose to, it doesn't have to be designers, of course, it can be developers or executives. Yeah. And the thing is that they will come up with uh, eight different wireframes. Okay. And, and then they will, they, they put them on a wall and they, but the thing is, you know, when, when you, um, and that is, you know, what are we going to do? That is, you know, we're going to draw eight, um, a different uh, versions of this. But when you think about it from, from the point of process design and you just go, you know, you just go and implement and you think, okay, this will give me that, the result that I want. It will, um, I will have, you know, eight, eight, eight different uh, wireframes. But, you know, when you think uh, from a process design uh, perspective, you know, what, what is it, you know, why, why are we doing this? And what is it that we're trying to, um, to convey to, to, to the people, um, you know, joining this. And if you haven't done the work where you're going to create that, uh, environment, that learning space, mm -hmm. they will have a lot of people get really stressed and you might actually, you know, what if one of them, they cannot come up with, with eight, um, different versions. And that is, I think that would be the case for, for, for a lot of people. So they will either um, completely dislike the exercise, which would uh, hurt your future, um, you know, chances of getting them in, in that room again or supporting your initiative. Or they might even end up feeling that they're not creative mm. enough, right? So there is... And I, I just feel that when that became popular, like everyone's like, oh, let's just, you know, sprint everything. And you might be, you know, just getting people without the preparation, without them feeling, you know, exploring what uh, their sort of creative wounds are. Because mm. a lot of people carry those. And those are, I think, at least in, in, in when they are facing this, like they might not have thought about that for years. Mm -hmm. But almost everyone has one experience at the classroom where you said something or it was dismissed. Yeah. And, and you just, you just carry that. Like, I'm not, I'm not a creative person. So I think that, you know, when you are 
when you're planning a process, you will actually have, you know, not just an activity layer, but you will have this set of behaviors, but you will also have, you know, theories and models mm-hmm. that, that should, um, that should be introduced at different phases. Yeah. You need to discuss, you need to be open um, with people and you need to ease them into, you know, you need to know who your audience is. Yeah. You can even assess their, you know, um, their perceptions regarding creativity before you, you even bring them into that room. You can have that as part of your process or, you know, what will the, the right conditions be? How do I want to sort of bring people into this room and how do I, and that's the same that I think, uh, that's the work that um, the facilitators at, at Hyper Island did. And that's why they felt so confident about letting conflict happen. But I think, uh, you know, as part of, of, your, um, of the process you're going to design, that has to be a consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, the risk that, um, you know, of people being there and, and you haven't maybe, you know, because you're, you're just looking at your point of view where, well, I, I wouldn't mind not being able to do X because I know that, um, I have done that before. So yeah. for me, it's just, this is one instance and I can, I can assume that I don't know if I have a whiteboard session and there's one day where I cannot come up with this user flow. Mm-hmm. I probably have, you know, a hundred other references where I was able to do it. So it's probably not going to destroy me. Like I'm not going to walk out of that room thinking like I'm the worst designer. Mm-hmm. I will probably be able to, you know, assume that, okay, you know, I have this other thing in my head or I don't really, I don't really believe in this approach. So that influenced my creative process and that's why I wasn't able to come up with this. Yeah. But for, for most people that might be, you know, their first time doing something like this. Yeah. And uh, so you need to be very, very careful about how that might affect their sort of self-efficacy um, perception. So that's why when, whenever I, I start to plan this, I like to think about, you know, what are the, the values that we need to keep in mind? And I know there's, there's so many, like there's discussion about values and I feel people sometimes just throw them up there. Like, you know, oh, we live in, in this and in, in, in openness and in uh, solidarity and compassion. Mm-hmm. But when you, when you think about the, the, the actual word and what, what is it, you know, why, why is a value called a value? And it's, it's something that you, you actually value, right? <laughs> So a value should have, there should be a way where you can say, uh, this is what this is worth for us as an organization. And this is how, you know, we demonstrate that this has a value. Because if you really didn't value something, yeah. you know, would you be putting a, an effort into protecting that? Right? Let's say, I don't know, I, I, I value my my phone, right? So whenever I, I stand uh, from, from a table or I'm having coffee, I will look for it and I will make sure 
you know, oh, it's in my pocket. Like, you know, and, and you're, you're doing things. I'm not uh, throwing it. I will feel bad if it falls. Mm -hmm. It's because I can assign a value to it. Yeah. Whether it is right. So it should be the same thing if with like, we should think about those, those values of what am I doing so that this, um, value that I'm, it doesn't break or get lost or is, you know, removed from, from this process. So you shouldn't just add words. You should, of course, like, uh, it's easier to do that with material things, mm -hmm. but what effect does, you know, us breaking this, this value has in, in terms of our organization or with the people that work here? Yeah. So you need to be mindful of that. And so I think that's where I wish, you know, um, process design would be more popular maybe. <laughs> and uh, not just in, you know, in, in, in almost everything we do because it's, you're, you're taking people through a learning experience. Mm -hmm. And there is no way that one becomes more creative without a process of self-awareness. And if you're going to be the, whoever is facilitating that, you know, you want to be very careful and you want to build trust over time. Yep. So that's another thing with, with process design is that you're not just planning, well, you might plan just one intervention, but as a process designer, you should know that there will be, you know, a long, like they, they're all connected. So there will be this, this, this other opportunities. You might not just push everything. So in that sense, I would take uh, this sort of five day sprint. Um, you know, maybe you can, you can, you can break the rules. I think you can, you can decide that you're not ready for, for just applying that formula. And it might be that your organization needs, needs a different, a different process and that there is some some history also i think if you ask many people what um what their experiences have been with this sort of uh, innovation um you know when a coach comes to an organization that for a long time hasn't been innovating yeah so you you hire someone and and they will do all of this sort of uh, coaching intervention it could even like some people would feel that it threats, it threatens their their position or mm. right so so you're also you're also dealing with uh, and if they had a, a bad experience before it might reflect on on how they will behave during those those workshops yeah and I guess I guess that's that's where I get to to learning design because <laughs> I feel it's Sometimes you cannot really tell them apart, right? It's just there is this 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 vulnerability in in learning, and there's a lot that you will that you will tell yourself, you know, about your your capacity or your, what you can do based on on a you know a class that you took where you felt, you know, at first that, you know, I, I'm not able to, to do this or 
how the, the, the instructor decided to, to bring people uh, to the front to demonstrate something. And, uh, you know, how they decided that the process of asking questions or, or raising hands was going to be like. Even those, you know, small details, they can, they can have a, a, a big impact. And I am now seeing, you know, that, um, and I think you mentioned this, that, uh, you know, this user experience design and instructional design, they're sort of blending uh, in together. And I think it goes, it goes both ways, because I think uh, user experience designers will also have to educate um, their clients and one thing I wish uh, I, I would see less of over time is at least, um, you know, uh, a while ago, there's a lot of uh, talk in the design world of, of how clients are terrible. <laughs> I, I know there's, there's even memes in yeah. the, there is one where, where you have, I think the the designer is there and the, there's the client just reaching on top of their mouse and, <laughs> and doing yeah. things for them. And, and you hear those stories and they will complain, like, you know, I don't have any, any creative freedom. I, the, the, the client just wants to make the logo bigger. <laughs> and, and you just, you just paint this, this picture of them as this uh, group as just clients, right? It, it has no, there is, there are no shades there. So just making them all into, into a whole, but they, you know, they probably have, you know, the, the, there is, I mean, one, you shouldn't ever group, you know, people into one. Like, as soon as you start doing that, there's probably something that we're not, <laughs> that we're not getting in, you know, the client with, with a large budget, will probably feel different from someone who has a small budget. Mm -hmm. And one that has a small budget will not all the time be looking to sort of lower your price or, or get a bargain or, yeah. or be a person who, you know, who is not valuing your work. It just, it just means that maybe, you know, you cannot for the price that they have, you cannot provide the level of service that you yeah. would, that you would, uh, you know, I, I can only provide the, the level. It's just, that's, yeah, the it's my cat, I'm it, sorry. Oh, that's okay. Um, she's getting very excited about what you're saying. <laughs> I think it's, that is just the challenge or a skill that you can develop, which is scope management and stakeholder management, you know? So where things do start to push or clients push back or want more or want more for less, that's you just being very clear from the beginning, this is the scope and this is what you're getting. And when it deviates yeah. from the scope, you are having those conversations. Exactly, so, so yeah, that's the, the approach I like to take is like uh, for me to actually solve your problem, it's, you know, like your budget won't, I cannot assure that I, I will, you know, be able to deliver that. And, yeah. 
and I think that is a, a better conversation to have. And you might actually be be educating someone along the way. And I had, you know, I had some of those conversations, and then they would say, "So what? What would I le- need to learn to get this part done?" Yeah. And then maybe by then I can I can pay you for this this other part that I don't think I can I can you know handle and. Once they show you the, like I had this happen, like they show you the work they've been doing. Yeah. Like I followed your advice and I, I went on and I interviewed uh, some of my, and I have all of this transcripts yeah. and I got this part that I think, and, and now I want you to just, you know, help me um, sort of find the, the connections here or, or help me make sense of this, but I did yeah. part of my work. And Oh you God. you know maybe they would have never taken that approach yeah maybe they would have felt you know oh the designers are so are so cocky are so you know but um you know at some point your your response drove them to actually put themselves in, in your shoes and say wow interviewing is hard mm-hmm. like i now one like i went through it and I also know why you're charging this because it was so difficult. I, I didn't know what to ask. I had to look at um, other people interviewing. I had to read this. Mm-hmm. And now I, this is what I did. And I value this so much. And now I know that with your expertise, you can actually find this. And now I, my budget will make more sense. But I'm also coming from a new place where I, where I went through your, you know, and, and that is another learning opportunity. Yeah. You know, you are, you are, um, you know, dismissing uh, something or a project or whatever. But at the same time, just changing your, your response uh, took someone else through a learning journey. Yeah. Where you could, so, so that's, you know, it's not, maybe someone will say, yeah, that's not my role. Like I cannot, but it's, if you feel that it might, you know, if they're coming from a right place, I don't see why, you know, we couldn't have more of those conversations. And, yeah. and, and, and I think of course, like building a, you know, your own thing is hard and they're probably going through, you know, a lot of anxiety as well. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things I, as part of this, uh, the, the workshops that I was mentioning, there's one exercise that I like to do is, because at, at first I, I, I take people through, you know, oh, I, I will t- sort of develop self-awareness and build something out of, you know, connect with their thinking and build something yeah. from that. And then usually what they will say at the end is like, okay, that was fun. And I see what you did there. But my client would never, uh, they would never agree to, to go through this or to connect with, at, at that level with me emotionally. Or, and so the next, uh, the next uh, workshop, I start to, uh, I share this story about uh, a purchase I made that I never told anyone about it because I was so embarrassed by it. And I think everyone has that one thing they were super excited about. And once you got it, it was, it was so disappointing 
and and now you bought it so it's it's on you right <laughs> you, you you could you could hide it uh especially if other people knew about it it's like did you actually get that uh you know that one thing and for some reason let's say you cannot even return it right so now you're stuck with it and because even returning it would be to face that you 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 made a mistake so i, I found it surprising that every time i try that uh or should people actually uh, find that one thing and then they feel really, they have all these strong emotions about mm -hmm. it. As in, you know, I, 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 when I moved to this place, I saw that everyone, uh, you know, wore this type of coat and I wanted to blend in. Yeah. So I, I got one and I felt it was like, uh, it felt ridiculous. So then it's in my closet. It, it's always there. And I, I and I, you know, it was it was expensive and I don't ever wear it. And whenever I look at it, it just reminds me of this. And so once they, they go through that and we talk about, you know, what are how do we how do we convey meaning to those purchases mm -hmm. and how we put that, you know, the things that uh, that have meaning for us, they, they translated into an object, uh, to something that we got because we, we thought it would fulfill some sort of meaning that we hold for our lives, whether it's beauty or justice or, mm -hmm. you know, blending, uh, belonging. And so now, you know, they, 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 they end up looking at from that perspective and it's okay. So it's the same thing when, when you're selling this, you know, whatever it is that you end up doing or delivering, whether it's a logo or, or it's a website, um, you know, that person has to put it, put it out there. Like yeah. their friends will see it. Um, the, their colleagues will see it. Their employees would see it. And that can be, that can be very, very stressful. So even if they might have an experimental side, to them as in yeah i want to go crazy with this logo they are also scared of how they will be judged mm -hmm. you know should i just stick to a conventional uh, approach it has to look corporate but uh in the end you know you also see other companies having this crazy brands and but you're not ready to take that uh, leap. Yep. You don't, you, 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 you might feel, you know, how will other people perceive me uh, is this. And so by doing that and by them reflecting on, on how they, they, their, their sense of meaning was sort of broken when they, when they thought they were getting something and mm. in the end it turned out and, um, just remembering that, then they can understand that sometimes, you know, clients won't be, even though you, you might see things where you think, oh, I think this is, this is lame or, mm -hmm. you know, why, why do they want corporate things? Why do they hold this um, ideas about how yeah. this should look like? If you're going to transition uh, to a perspective where, you know, I want to make this person 
choose um, this this very crazy logo because I think this is what's cool right now. And sometimes we might be even influenced by what what will go on our portfolio, mm-hmm. right? We don't we don't want to have uh, so. I think yes, you have to develop that that empathy, and maybe maybe yes, they will they will eventually get there. But you have to also design that process. What what is it that you could do to get them to experience uh, their company in in that um, you know in where what would happen if we bring in this this vibrant branding how would employees feel about mm-hmm. it and there are probably things that you can expose people to that aren't necessarily the the logo itself because now you're not thinking about the what you're not thinking about this is the the brand that i will deliver and the only way for me to to get people used to that is to show them a picture and, and get their perception mm. now you might even plan for uh, a, a different process and maybe you know maybe you bring them to a place uh you know there maybe there's a studio where people like that are are working and maybe you talk to them and you say you know i want to have like a book one of your rooms i want to have a a meeting there and and they it might be the first time they walk into a place where people are dressed differently, they're doing things, uh, you know, there's post-its everywhere. Mm. And they they might experience that and say, wow, I wish our office looked like this. Like, wow, they have this, you know, giant bird sculpture in the middle of the, but they all seem very professional. Mm. <laughs> Maybe, you know, my ideas were coming from, from a different place. And, and so I didn't show them a, a logo, but I, I found this, this, this process that could get them, you know, to experience what something like that might feel like. And then maybe when you go back, they will look at the corporate logo and say, you know, let's, let's just maybe, you know, this is, I, I'm, I'm more, because mm-hmm. you will be scared of the things that you cannot see. And you have to understand that even though you hang out at, you know, uh, hipster coffee shops, they maybe, you know, they don't. So, you know, you either try that um, without necessarily going into the logo itself. Mm-hmm. But what is it that you can do? Where is it that you can take them or invite them or make them part of? so that they can start, you know, coming to terms with, with something that might be inside them mm-hmm. or it might have the opposite effect. And then you know that, oh, they would never feel okay with this logo. They would never feel okay with wearing this on a t-shirt or maybe even you join their, their world, right? So, so that is, that I think that influences um, a lot of what I, I, I try to do with my clients, and it has to come from, from a place of openness. 
and right. developing trust over time. That's cool. I've heard, um, I can't remember now what book it was, but I was just finished a book recently and it spoke about some other strategies for creating openness um, to help people take on ideas. Small things such as having open windows. If you have bottles of water, have the lids off the water already, that openness, the welcomeness to just be able to grab that and not have to ask permission because the closed lid is actually like a barrier um, to yeah, having yeah. magazines open. All these things that are open, the symbolism of openness allows a person's mind to get into a frame of, I'm also open. And then they will absorb your ideas better. So just some little exactly. <laughs> no, and, and I love those, uh, those sort of tips because like I said, it, it can be just the way you phrase yeah. uh, the question and, and it just, it, it changes, it changes everything because you're, you're just finding this opportunities for, 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 for creating this, this shared learning. And, and I think that will eventually change. Um, yeah. A lot of that narrative around clients, just wanting to, mm. to control what you do or, or, um, you know, someone feeling disappointed because the design the they had created ended up looking completely different. And at some point you felt I, I had no control over that process. And I think that was, it was something I, I, I wrote about, right? Because you're, you have your, your own ideas and the client will have theirs. Mm -hmm. But if you don't, they will most likely just bring that back if you're just thinking that you own the entire creative process yeah there is a need for for people to feel that they're contributing something especially if it means something to them to them yeah. and so there's this uh whole theory about um i think it was david brocks i don't maybe i'm getting that name wrong but it's uh called uh scarf yeah and it's the model david to Rock. understand yeah. Oh, it's David Rock. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that applies. It's one of my favorites because when you think about it, you're, you're talking about like status, autonomy, relatedness, certainty, and fairness. And autonomy is, is a big part of, of letting someone else, you know, craft the vision for, for your project. So in their look for autonomy, you know, if you're, if you're not letting them, you know, participate or have that, uh, this, they will, they will compensate for it. So mm -hmm. what they say is like, they, 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 you either, um, attack or retreat. So you will see things like that and, you know, make the logo bigger because I want to have, I want to feel that sense of autonomy. Mm. And this is, this is a decision I feel, uh, I, I have to make. So they're, they're just, you know, coming from that place where, you know, you don't want to give up uh, complete control. Yeah. So the creative process, it has to be, you know, you have to start from this place where you're, you're setting up the, the basis for this co-creation. Yeah. And so, yeah, that is, that is what I, I aim to bring into the work I'm doing. And, and that's where I get uh, really interested about because these are all learning uh, 
it's learning theory, right? Um, I think I think it's uh, David Alsubel, and he talks about this uh, subsumption theory of how we assimilate ideas. Okay. Into so that we don't we we learn on top of existing knowledge, and that's how we that's how we adapt uh, those new ideas. So if you don't know what that sort of mental schema looks like for your client, you you're you're boasting different things. Mm. So people, for example, if let's say they they learn um, what a diamond shape is uh, yeah. looks like, right? That they might not they might not think about it as as a diamond like they go from okay how do i how do i create a diamond shape and oh it's it's like a square but i rotate it so now it's like a rotated square <laughs> so they might see it like that but you might uh, look at, at, at a diamond in a in a different way mm. so they, they they are both looking at the same shape but um what you're doing is you're assimilating into, if you have never seen that, uh, let's say a child has never seen that, it's like, oh, it's a square and it's like this. And if you look at them drawing it, uh, you know, for the first time, like they, it might look like a bit, uh, you know, the lines don't, don't match. There is not, because um, they're not thinking in that way. It's like, oh, I'm rotating this. So you need to anchor new learning into what was already in, in your head. And that's, you know, I think that's the the whole part um, of you know us learning from um, you know different fields, mm-hmm. and and then you just see them pop up in in different ways. And there's there's one thing that that kids do a lot that I that I think I I love this where when you were little you learned how to draw something really cool because they taught you this trick of you know just uh do this or it can be with letters and then you complete it and it's like this this funny looking dog or like we all had and 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 that never goes like with time it's just people continue to do it because they they learned how you know to because it started with something you already knew how to do and on top of that you do it and then it's oh i feel very proficient at drawing this Mm-hmm. type of dog because they taught me that I had to do like this two circles and then and and that never goes away it's, it's like it, it just stays and most kids have learned that at some point yeah so I think it it's just that right if you if you know how to how to anchor a new thing to what they already have in their heads like start from something I know how to do then you will most likely, you know, be able to create this stronger um, shared ideas. Yeah. But that also takes, you know, it takes it takes more work. But I feel that it optimizes everything that goes, um, you know, after that. Mm-hmm. As in, not having to make endless revisions or every you know, meeting that wasn't necessary. So, yeah, I think it's, there is, you know, there is so much that we can learn from from people, uh, you know, working and learning and especially right now when we're also going remote. (laughs) (laughs) 
and uh, that's that's a whole new new world <laughs> and i feel that's where learning designers will will have you know a big opportunity to to bring that you know what they know what they have experienced and and you know let's just all help each other learn <laughs> yeah i am um, i'm curious to know what I find interesting is we do a lot of co-creation. So it surprises me how many people work solo and don't ask their client or their stakeholder to contribute to build the solution. So an example activity that we find is really, really good is empathy maps. And when we do an empathy map, it's basically four quadrants, and we do it from a future desired state. So what do we want the people to do, to feel, to think, to see, or to say as a result of the learning that they go through? And this is something we run virtually or in person. And we just get users, the client, like a subject matter expert, project sponsor, any of the key stakeholders in the room, and they help us co-create that together. So that's one activity and that helps us so much because for our projects, we never have to go to Google to find that. How do you do something? We don't really go to their processes or procedures either or existing yeah. content. We say, what are the future desired behaviors that you want us to train? It's done through an empathy map and that's what we build the mm -hmm. solution on. I was wondering what, um, what exercises or activities do you, do that you are co-creating that are really effective to help you move forward in your projects that you're working on. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So what you're saying is that sometimes they will not, uh, they will not join the, the conversation as much as you would. Well, for me and our team, we, we do co-creation. So we do it with our mm -hmm. clients. It benefits us a lot. I would, I don't like working on projects where clients are not available. But what I'm, as I talk to more people, they say we don't co-create with our stakeholders. We do all the work ourselves. So um, I'd love to encourage people to do more co-creation. So what activities do you do that are really impactful when you do them as a co-creation as opposed to a solo activity? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, um one thing I, I do like to do is I like to set up, um, so I know some people will be, will be um, scared if they start with a completely blank uh, canvas. Yeah, I would be. <laughs> so, yeah, and especially when it, when it comes to the subject matter experts. So uh, most of the clients that I'm working with, they are they are um, creating uh, AI-based, um, you know, solutions like digital transformation um, mm -hmm. in the healthcare sector. So sometimes I will have a subject matter expert who has uh, the, their entire career has been on doing the, that same thing, but just with humans, mm -hmm. right? So if I if I were to extract knowledge. From them and say you know oh we're we're doing this we're going to build this and and I want to know how how did uh, this person perform this job mm. so what you will get is that there's like 
that the computer doesn't have the logic to do that. And what they're telling you is like, you know, this, this person did so much more than just, you know, oh, what a computer would do. And they, they will want to show, um, you know, they show me like, this is, this is the book that I had to learn um, in order to gather those, um, you know, uh, diagnosis codes. And now you're doing that with one click and there's mm-hmm. this computer reading, but there are nuances. There are things that, that I, I knew how to, how to, how to create. So in, in that case, for example, um, I like to get an understanding of their process. Yeah. So for, for this specific uh, workshop where I wanted to find, you know, I want you to tell me, you know, how this decision-making process works and we want to translate that into, into the, you know, whatever the, 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 the algorithm will do. So at first I, I, I probably watched, uh, you know, there's a lot of videos of people uh, doing what, uh, what uh, she would tell me about, and and I loved getting actual quotes from them. Mm-hmm. Like I would transcribe the, the the videos. Yeah. And then at some point they would say, "So now what I'm doing is I'm looking at this thing and I'm finding, um, I'm finding the place where I can start throwing lines and doing this. And and if you understand their language, if you if you have the quotes, I like to add quotes of. The actual people saying doing things yeah and start talking I, I you bring a lot of that uh human side mm-hmm. so i will sometimes um i think youtube is a great resource for getting uh those sort of quotes and you would be surprised about even niche uh you mm-hmm. know um activities like if you're looking at how someone who works uh with uh, wood talks about they will have a particular language yeah. because the, the spoken voice is the, the way you speak is, is completely different of how people write. So I like to put that uh, sort of paint those portraits with uh, quotes and show that I have, I have done my homework yeah. and that I'm coming from a place where I am, I am valuing that. And for example, in this case, yeah, I, I prepared this, you know, this person, this is what they do. This is how they approach the problem. This is the quotes that they use. Mm-hmm. And I let, um, I let them tell me about that. Yeah. And it's, it's such a big difference because once they see that it's, you know, oh, this person is talking about, you know, how complicated it is um, to find, um, you know, uh, let's say this code has to go with this condition. You should never, um, you should never diagnose uh, this without this. Or maybe yeah. there's a, a, a typical mistake uh, that people make. Like doctors, when they write the uh, stage of a disease, they they yeah. use uh, Roman numerals, mm-hmm. and so the computer would read it as this is a completely different thing. I would get it wrong, and mm-hmm. it's okay. So. <laughs> If if you if you do a bit of homework, you would know something about their industry, yeah. That they fully only know, and that creates that creates this this sort of bonding, yeah. And so I let them tell stories, and I mm-hmm. think that's where storytelling is 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 very useful. 
and I feel that that leads to better co-creation and I will also make it you know as much as I can completely transparent um you know I am extracting this information for this reason yeah and I will sometimes have you know the uh, the, the, the machine or the algorithm represented by by some icon or something as in yeah. when when this happened, you know, this will do this. It, it, this is a way that the process will be replicated. Yeah. And I feel that, you know, complete transparency, especially when you're dealing with the this sort of sensitive subject of automation. And, and, and also doing storytelling, which I think is a very human thing to do. It's like, you know, tell me, tell me about, you know, those people that you knew, uh, you know, working in this industry. Like, yeah. what was the thing that uh, annoyed you the most? And, and what is it, you know, what are the secrets that, because, you know, one does get a, a whole sense of identity from from something you've done your entire life. Mm. So that is that is I, I would say that's a part of my process is just looking at YouTube for it doesn't even have to be like a video with a lot of views, but yeah, if you if you listen and and I think you will find for most part you know sources it doesn't have to be related to design like you should you should start yeah. looking and even better if you can find you know actual actual people and just listen to their stories yeah before you push for what you actually need yeah and i find that's the perfect formula so it sounds like get a stimulus and that will help guide you to ask the right questions or to um, inspire some stories to come through that you then gather. And then after that, you're able to make sense of that somehow as part of your process to get you closer to the solution. Yeah, and they will help you because you also honored the knowledge that you're about to extract. Yeah, yeah. Because you're going to use that uh, to build something that will probably you know, um, replace a big part of what they were doing. Mm. And I, I think that goes beyond automation. Yeah. I think it's just, it's just any transformational process and which is what we're mostly doing now. Right. Before it was, it was about service. Sorry. Did I cut off? No, you're good. Okay, so you had you have this progression, right? When we were doing products, then we went to we moved to a different layer. It's like, no, this is a service now. So service goes beyond product. Product is just the way you, you sort of deliver that service. Yes. And then we moved to experiences, which was everything that happens around that uh, you know, that service and the, the tiny differences in uh, you know after you buy something what happens how do you feel throughout the process it's no Mm. longer valid that you know you just put something on your shopping cart and that is that is it you know experience would be more um everything that you felt outside of that purchase it goes beyond the number 
but now we're moving from experience to to transformation mm-hmm. so it is even you know it just it, it stops being transactional and it starts to get uh you know uh, relational and right so if i am if i were going to extract you know information from from the stakeholders the people i'm interviewing you have to also provide them with something it cannot just yeah it, it doesn't matter that you're you know that they're hired to to do that or i i think they will give you more if you're also you know putting the extra effort yeah and you're also being mindful of of the narratives that you're pushing as in you know you see a lot of uh, i think people are are too quick to just say oh this whole industry is dying and you know that's someone's dad's career that's mm-hmm. someone's uh, dream job like that don't just go around you know <laughs> trying to to eliminate things like the it's 2020 right it, the world is doesn't need any more of that um <laughs> and you know even if if that means that you're pushing your 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 new service or product on the basis that something and and you know it's been disrupted or disappearing it like you need to be mindful of of how you 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 sort of project that narrative and that will i think we'll see more of that happening with ai and the pace and you know that's going to be you know the oh teachers are no longer this like uh you can just you know have um the machine will decide what the the best learning path for mm. for your students are and you know it it might it might be that you can you can actually work uh, alongside a computer if you don't make people feel so resistant to it so yeah but there i i have a lot of of thoughts about you know how we're going to move through this this transformation uh phase and what we're pushing to the world and what we're getting back based on that one thing i would love to get your perspective on is we've talked a lot about experience and the motivation, the reason why behind something. I'm reading um, Awaken the Giant Within, which is a book by Tony Robbins. So it's like a self-help kind of book or Mm -hmm. personal growth, whatever you want to call it. The idea though that I'm curious to explore myself, so this is what I would like your perspective on, is that humans are motivated by only two things. One is pain, and the other is pleasure. How do you see that to actually change behavior when we talk about the experience we're trying to create, the results that we're trying to get, going from transactional to relational? How do you see motivating humans in the solutions that you create play out in result to motivating them by pain or pleasure? Exactly. So that, that's a very interesting question. There is, 
actually that is is also used uh, or there, there's some people studying design thinking from from the perspective of like embodied design thinking mm. and so pain and pleasure are, are, are very sort of physical reactions yeah and what they say is that those actually because before they thought the brain was uh it was in front of body right as in yeah. your your logical mind without that that sort of body interface was yeah. uh interacting with those ideas but now this 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 whole new perspective is that it's body first and then it's your brain making interpretations from that yeah so they uh they do discuss this this sort of uh you know going from from uh pain uh to pleasure and also I've heard um, like going from hate to love, which is different things. Mm. And yeah, no, it's 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 super interesting because they 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 talk a lot about this um, autobiographical brain. Okay. And it's the that sort of part of us that tells our our story, and it's very linked to this uh, pain pleasure thing. Mm -hmm. So the more, you know, the more you learn about this, this, this part of the brain, I think they also call it the, the narrative or narrator uh, brain. Okay. Is that we're actually, we're actually able to, to change uh, our stories. Right. Because the, the way that uh, the brain works is just, it's, it's so flexible. And the way we tell something, we can actually shift it. It, it doesn't become uh, false, mm. right? Uh, so I think when you're going through this transformation process and when you're taking, uh, you know, people through it, there is, there is one, uh, one thing I, I really like when I think about transformational process is this uh, writing from uh, Nietzsche. So he talks about the process of metamorphosis mm -hmm. from the, he talks about three stages, which is like being the camel, the lion, and the child. And uh, yeah, it's, it's lovely. And so first you have to start as a camel. Yeah. And that means that you have to carry that, that burden across the desert. You have to do the work before you can start, uh, you know, transition into the lion, and the lion will only know how to destroy and deconstruct, but he cannot create, he cannot transform. Hmm. And but only after going to that deconstruction, and that is a lot. There is a lot of, uh, you know, uh, fighting with the past and changing those ideas, hmm. and only then uh, can the child exist. And the child will just play and and create, right? And so I like I like to think about this this sort of camel. Um, in every transformation process, you cannot just shortcut um, to to child because mm -hmm. you have to you have to walk. Um, you have to walk. You have to cross that desert. You have to feel the the weight. That is uh, 
you know, and inside, I mean, on top of you. And I think that would be, that is the basis of, of actual transformational processes is that they will be like beyond the experience. Transformation requires that, that, that walking, uh, you know, through the desert and, and, and becoming that creator child. There is anything that I, I think doesn't include that won't be, won't be real transformation. Because mm. it takes, it takes, um, you know, it takes more work and it, it takes deconstructing. Because you cannot, you cannot transform and keep telling yourself the same story, right? So <laughs> I know that, uh, you know, people might want that and you know, we, uh, you know, humans want that when, when you go to, to therapy, even it's therapy, it's the oldest uh, transformation um, process that there is. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, they will not even give you advice. <laughs> and that is, you know, that is confusing. Like therapy is not, it's not really an experience. They're not creating, they cannot provide you the experience of wellness. Mm-hmm. Like that would be more of me going to a spa and <laughs> and feeling relaxed. Uh that might be that might be an experience, but um you don't feel the same way when you go to therapy as you do with a spa. Like if I were to to go to a spa and and I end up crying, then something is wrong here. <laughs> right. So I would say for me that is that is the difference between experience is like a spa day, you know what will happen. There is a set uh, amount of feelings that you will allow mm. um, to happen. And you will probably get, you know, very specific services. And you will, they will, you know, apply something. Oh, your skin is dry. This, this will do it. Yeah. And but if you go through, through a therapy process... Maybe you're just talking throughout the entire session, but there won't be, you know, oh, uh, take this because I see your, they cannot even tell if, you know, it's not like your skin, they cannot say whether it's, um, they have to just, you, you both have to bear the, the burden together. You have to walk through, through the desert and even, even, you know, from the therapist's perspective, making a wrong assumption before they heard, uh, you know, it's, it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. And so I think one is transformational. It's uh, relational. Yeah. It's not a transaction, even though you pay for it. And whereas the, you know, the spa is like more of an, an experience. <laughs> and maybe it's an, an extreme example, but it, it's one that works for me. Mm. When I think you don't really know how long those conversations have to, you know, for how long they have to go before you make a breakthrough. Yeah. They, they cannot assure you uh, a cure for whatever it is that you're dealing with. There is no set time. Mm-hmm. There, there might be one for, you know, coaching, but it's like in a very narrow scope. 
but I don't think therapists can assure you like in one year you will feel better. <laughs> and you see that that sort of advice. People try to put this transformational processes into 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 time. Mm. I've seen that advice maybe for 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 breakups. You see it where they say, "Oh, the length of your relationship," and then that turned that into months. That's how long you have to to feel bad, and then. And we do that because it's, it provides a sense of, of control, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, oh, I will feel bad for three months. And it doesn't work like that. There is people who will wake up in one week and they will be fine. There's people who will um, feel uh, something for, for two years. So I feel the same applies to any transformational process mm. where there will be you know, before you can, you can deconstruct, um, you will have to take that uh, walk. So I don't know if that's, <laughs> it's a, that's very off topic, but it's, it's the way I, I, I like to think about this, um, this process of dealing with resistance and, and achieving actual, actual transformation. It makes me think about um, if I think about creating training, they back in the classroom days, I'm going to say there was a lot of reflection time. Not not a lot, but like, sorry, that was a way to embed the learning, reflect. Makes me think about it now in terms of reflect. But when we talk about the future, I'm trying to get the individual, if I think about all the things that we've been Think, talking about today mm -hmm. if the individual reflects and we are allowing them the space to reflect that's the important part we allow them the space to reflect and the intention of the reflection is think to think about a future state that they would like to be in and we think about that from a pain or pleasure perspective for themselves we just prompt them with the right questions and it links what you were talking about earlier reminds me of Joe Dispenza and his ideas of neuroplasticity. And what yeah. he says is if you think about the future state and try to feel it and what you were saying, the embodiment where we can embody that future outcome that we're trying to achieve from a training perspective, that individual is tapping into their own personal motivation mm -hmm. and what that learning outcome means for them and whether that is pain or pleasure because it will come up in an instant as a reaction based on the stimulus. So yeah, I wonder, yeah. I'm just formulating this out loud, <laughs> and it's something I want to experiment with on my next uh client project is creating the space for reflection, prompting them to reflect about a future they would like to have in response to the learning outcome and asking them if you didn't do it, which was a question you had earlier, I think, what effect does something have on X if we don't do it? So mm -hmm. linking it to pain and pleasure and then saying, what would I need to do to have it? What would I need to get rid of? And then really feeling, okay, now I have it. What does it look like? And I wonder how that would play out when we think about the things that we're trying to achieve in our solutions. That is, that is really interesting because there is, there is going to be pain involved. 
in and sort of letting go or detaching from from any story that you know we tell ourselves and so it's it's interesting to you know to think that you can you can actually start including those um sort of parameters mm -hmm. in in the type of work you do yeah and it and goes I, on oh you you continue no and, and and because i've heard about this uh bias for optimism that we have and it's most likely that ideas that uh, people are very optimistic about will be the ones implemented <laughs> Mm. But not for for a particular reason, other than the optimism feels that it it can avoid that you can avoid pain. Uh, so I think it it goes back to to what I was saying, like this formulas of in in X amount of days you will feel that it comes from optimism. We might adopt the people say, hey, I I know it's it's ridiculous, but it makes me feel good. It's to think that in, in this, you know, amount of time, I'm going to feel this. Mm -hmm. And, and I think it goes, it goes back to the same thing. Like, uh, you will have this, this, this bias towards optimistic ideas and your rational brain will know that it's, there is no basis for it. <laughs> and mm -hmm. if you, if you, if you bring that into decisions that you're making with clients like it i don't see how that can be different yeah to believe that you know oh well we'll we'll get this like people will will participate in this way like students will be and it's yeah so it's you're you're enthusiastic about it and you might dismiss potential things that are very painful to discuss mm-hmm so it's I think it's it's super interesting to bring that into the into the discussion, but it will most likely require a, a process, right? To get people um to share mm -hmm. and to have that capacity of you know of self reflection. Mm. That is tough. <laughs> that is that is really hard. It's really hard to to achieve. But that again it goes back to to having to bear the burden mm -hmm. no no shortcuts but possible i think yeah. it's just like you say the constraints we ask we cre create the environment is what i'm hearing a lot of your stuff is create the environment and give them the tools and the rest will play out basically yeah and be be mindful of the consequences um i know there's at least if you're if you're doing uh social sciences uh if you're in academia and and, and studying mm -hmm. there is a lot that you cannot um you know show to people without breaking an ethical guideline oh wow yeah especially when you're there is uh, like vignette experiments where you're just showing the, them some text or even that is highly, highly regulated. Mm. As in, you know, uh, would they be heard by your experiment? And so thinking about that and, and how that, that whole field of 
has developed on, on this basis of, of, you know, having to be bound by the ethical um, guidelines of how you, you intervene, how you, how you mind uh, people's, you know, feelings and everything. And now we have uh, some sort of un unregulated uh, approaches yeah, and, and at the industry, you know, industry level outside of academia. Yeah. And so I think also, you know, educating ourselves um, in the way those experiments are conducted is, is also important. Yeah. When I know I was, I was, I was extremely curious about that because I, I kept thinking, how come how come designers only have, uh, you know, A-B testing or, uh, you know, very, very few tools when you ask them, you know, how do you, how do you know something is better than, than this mm -hmm. other option? And so I, I decided to sign up for, for summer school in survey methods. And that involves, you know, the questionnaires are just one part. Like <laughs> survey methods are interviews, uh, you know, observation, um, every sort of experiment that you could do, but from a academic, uh, you know, um, point of view. So yeah. I went there, and, and it was it was like uh, two weeks, uh, very intense, with a lot of you know sampling methods and and how to design multifactorial experiments. It was mm -hmm. people from uh, social sciences, uh, economics, politics. Pretty much everyone held like some sort of. PhD and I was like a designer <laughs> and but I I went there and uh, they did not notice so that was that was good and I got so much respect uh, from how much they plan their testing wow you know how how because they have this sort of peer review system and how they they document everything for example if if one of the things i see that uh that happens um in design sometimes is like you try out something and then this other unexpected result happened yeah and it's like oh i'll take this because it was good right and so in in in, in a scientific process in testing you cannot actually do that you would have to to launch a whole new study if you want to explore why that one thing happened but you have to report on why you failed mm. and your why your hypothesis was wrong because that's that's sort of the and you also cannot like at the end of it if you had a sample of let's say 200 people and there was you know a hundred that did the thing that you wanted you cannot remove the others <laughs> from your experiment you are bound to that uh sample number that you determined at the beginning so that means you also have to deal with the ones who did not perform as you expected from yeah. your hypothesis right and that would be the same for if i'm planning uh to have this um course or intervention whatever and i will have a hundred students i cannot simply 
get rid of the 20 that failed mm. at the end. Because you would have to share that. You would have to report that. It would be, it would be against um, the, the process. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't, um, you know, make that part of your, of your paper. And so you will see, for example, with boot camps and, and things like that, where, you know, working tech in three months and they will say X percent get placed in a job. And, and that's, that's our success metric. I want to know what happened with the, those 20% who failed at your bootcamp. And I want to know what you're doing about it. You know, you, you don't have to, like no one, no one will ever guarantee, like I cannot guarantee that. Um, mm. You know, every, every prototype, everything, like there, it won't be, it won't be successful. Like designers could be involved in a business failing. <laughs> <laughs> It could be. Yeah, yeah. And, I get um, it. Yeah, but it's an actual it's an actual part of um you know how do you how do you handle that risk? And so I think, you know, when you're that has to be even more crucial with learning. You know, what what is the percentage of of failed, you know, of students that feel that we will allow yeah before because we have a responsibility when we brought them into that uh into that program yeah and i i still don't have all the answers to that because i know it's you know where at the end of the day you have to you have to work you have to um you know, you have to deal with um, that some people will not be, mm. will not be successful in the spaces that we create. Yeah. But in terms of what we communicate, um, and that's, you know, that's the sort of peer review process that uh, scientists, they, 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 they hold that to a very high standard. And I think now we're going back to, to what we initially discussed, which is, you know, how, how do I get critique, uh, from my work other than just mm. oh people liked it and where are the ones you know disagreeing with this and that's what they will usually do you know they will have this system um where they need to get everything reviewed by by others yeah and you need to include every number every story every and that is that is so hard to do. I don't know how how you could uh, you know come up with a, a, a some sort of portfolio. So I don't think it has to happen at the at that level where that is loud. I'm sorry because <laughs> you're you're not going to sell your your service as you know I filled this, but maybe internally mm-hmm. we need to create communities and and those sort of groups where we open. We open up because I think, and it goes back to pain and and pleasure, right? Like uh, it would be, it would be, you know, it's like I said, for example, the what I was saying about uh, you reviewing uh, work. Yeah. Um, 
there is there is pleasure in in seeing that like having your uh people comment on your on on something that you built mm -hmm. but maybe we're not we're not talking about those other things maybe maybe that is how we transform you know our industry if we create those spaces mm. um and we talk about and not not failure as in as in um you know oh you failed that is good learning like i think that it, it simplifies people's experience with failure means different things yeah um based on where where you fall after you failed you know uh, what's your safety net like <laughs> not everyone can well, afford to does go back to pain or pleasure because we apparently associate uh, anything that happens to us, our first experience of it is linked to pain or pleasure and where it is on the spectrum. So for example, in the book, Tony Robbins talks about, uh, I think his first, he doesn't drink beer. And the reason is, is that his first experience of beer was his dad would drink it. And mm -hmm. he thought his dad was cool. He idolized him. So he had this experience of pleasure. Beer would be a good thing. He'd be a man if he drank the beer. So he said to his mom one day, I want to have a beer. I want to drink like dad. And she said, no, you're not drinking. You're too young, whatever. And he said, no, I really want to do it. And she said, fine, you want to do it? You're going to drink like your dad. So she got a six pack and she said, here's your first beer, drink it. And he had it and he was like, oh, this is fine. She was like, and he was like, oh, I've had enough. And then she goes, no, you're drinking like, you said you want to drink like dad. So here's the second one, drink it. And she forced him to drink all six. He ended up spewing. So now his first experience of wow. that is linked to pain. So therefore he no longer wants the pleasure that he originally had because it's been overwritten. So I think it's a really exactly. interesting concept for us to consider is if it's somebody's first perception or sorry, first experience, or we are trying to change that experience from their current perception of it. Yeah. How do we do that? And what is that going to create? Is it pain yeah, exactly. or is it pleasure? Is it really strong? Because that's what will be hooked. That's what they're going to embody. And that's what they will experience mm -hmm. moving forward until again on the spectrum, they have another experience that sways it to the dominant point of it. Exactly. Um, and if all you hear is, you know, uh, oh, failure is good and everyone is like glorifying it. Um, that sure. is isolating. That's a big thing at the moment. Failure, learn from your failure. Failure. There's an acronym and the means like fall and get up again or something it's not that but like you know what I mean so we are trying to encourage that but we don't look at what you're saying that spectrum and where it's at and how people relate to failure and what it may what meaning they make of it for them so we exactly what does it mean and, and now that's what I was saying right I when when we were talking about the white word exercise mm. like uh, uh, you know if I fail at one I have that uh, evidence yeah i can where i can tell myself that it was like a, and then maybe failure is constructive yeah but if that was you know my first uh whiteboard session i couldn't come up with anything 
you know, there has to be someone there uh, reaching out, um, whoever organized it or, and, and making sure that I know, you know, they're setting up the, you know, some other means for me to, to start doing that. So, and I think that will be, it, it will be the same as you participating in, in a classroom or, so it's, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, but I think it goes back to, again, you know, we just want to put every failure into the same box, uh, just like we want to put every client experience into, mm. and just, you know, failure, good. It's, it's <laughs> an oversimplification of Especially, of yes, that, because what if your organization doesn't actually uh, give you permission to fail? and you get fired well we don't really want you to fail in that instance either so it's interesting yeah so so well, giving advice again is yeah it does. that is that is where where you need to you know be uh, mindful of you know how what worked for us might not be might not work for every for everyone yeah this is so this leads really well into my summary because I think there's been a lot of ideas shared. And what's interesting about your thought process is you speak as a process designer, which I think is really interesting. So you have your idea and then you take us through your process, which is this is the current experience and you make it relatable and then you try to close the gap and then the last thing is the outcome. So I noticed that your ideas all follow a process to get someone from your idea to the outcome. Oh. You can watch it back, but I feel like you you live. I will do that. <laughs> through it. Um, but to summarize in not giving advice, what I've got is documented my notes from our conversation. And I have some questions that I want the learners to maybe document and ask themselves. Um, to help improve their process. And it summarizes everything, not everything, but a lot of the ideas we've been chatting about today. Mm -hmm. So as a problem solver, a designer, whatever you want to call yourself, ask yourself, how can I withhold judgment in this situation? Yeah. The next one is predicting the resistance that you may get from stakeholders in advance. So asking yourself, what resistance may I face? And then the second part of that is how can I overcome that so that you're pre-prepared for objective yes. resistance? Um, how can I create an experience or an emotion for the person receiving what it is that I'm creating? How can I get a skeleton of ideas to stimulate stories from the people yeah. that I'm designing for? Um, what effect does X have on X? How will I be perceived? And this is more from asking it from the learner's perspective, because I think if you can figure this out for that individual learner or the end user, you actually will tap into a huge motivation thing that you could solve right up front. So caring about that judgment of others or the perception of others on an action or a behavior that someone has. Um, how can I be more relational rather than transactional? That's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
What is the intervention I want to create? What are the consequences, good or bad, of the decision I'm about to make? What are the consequences of the good or bad of the uh, thing that I'm about to put my learner or my end user through? And the last one that I have is what is the future desired state that I want to create? Yeah. They're the questions you can ask yourself as problem solvers of the world to help create better solutions. But Gillen, thank you very much for the conversation you. today. I appreciate it. If you've liked any of the ideas, we'd love to know how you're going to put them into practice um, and implement them into your world. So please let us know in the comments of the video so that we can think about how you're transferring the knowledge that you've gained from this chat. But we appreciate you. Thank you very much for watching everyone as well. Have an awesome day. This is Learning with Bell Vista Studios and we appreciate you.